Hello, and welcome to Stride and Saunter, episode 101. I'm Kip Clark. And I'm Caroline Borders. And today we're going to be reacting to a series of articles and a photographic study on purity balls done by a Swedish photographer, David Magnusson, around May 2015. And essentially, purity balls deal with a culture surrounding fathers and daughters making a vow on the daughter's side to remain sexually pure and chaste and abstain from sexual encounters whatsoever until marriage. So Caroline, you initiated this research, and I want to know what prompted you to bring this up today. When I first heard about purity balls, which was really just quite recently, it sounded like such a foreign, strange concept. And I was simply curious about it. I'm personally very interested in religion, but then also how different social relations are tied into it. And this specific tradition is fairly recent and has developed and picked up steam a lot in the last 20 years or so. So the fact that it occurs in 48 out of 50 states, I think one of the articles said, is astounding to me, especially when you look at the details of the actual ritual, which we'll go into for sure. Definitely. And of course, this is a complex issue, as are many others that we discuss on the show. So to listeners who would like us to revisit it at any point, please feel free to let us know. But Caroline, where would you like to start? So as you may or may not be able to tell, the idea of purity balls has to do with the idea of virginity and of daughter's virginity specifically and how she chooses to abstain from sex until marriage. And that is a promise that she makes to her father during these ceremonies and purity balls. So we found that both really fascinating. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on it first, Kip. One of my immediate responses was one of negativity. I'll be honest, I find it problematic. First of all, that it is a one-sided promise. The father isn't necessarily offering anything on his end, yet the daughter is required by this promise and this vow to abstain from sexual activity whatsoever. And as some of the articles said, that includes kissing, which to me, in my cultural understanding, I absolutely understand how that could lead to sexual interactions of various sorts, but I don't necessarily think it's as explicit as other sexual imagery and sexual connotations. It's shown in various PG and G movies, so I don't think as a culture we believe that kissing is necessarily explicit, and I found that very interesting because I also believe human physical contact is very important and something that I would say as a culture in America, we don't engage in much platonic physical contact. If you're holding hands with someone or hugging someone, oftentimes it can be seen as romantic. Of course, there are exceptions, but for the most part, I don't think we physically engage with other people that much, and I think that is a part of our biological heritage. And I'm troubled by the idea that individuals, girls in this case, would be prohibited from exploring what I see as typically a natural part of one's identity. And I do recognize that there are, of course, exceptions in cases of asexuality or quote-unquote late sexual blooming if someone hasn't reached sexual maturity yet and doesn't have that curiosity. But I would say for many people, sexual urges are a part of puberty and adolescence. And to be told not only that you shouldn't explore those urges or those feelings, but that they are bad, I think leaves a very negative connotation surrounding sex. And also, which is something we could talk very much about, builds up the expectation about what sex is and how it is supposed to feel and how idealized it becomes simply because it is made the other. It is made this special thing that saved for a far-off date in one's life. And I find that problematic. 
and it's not that I can't understand the value of waiting until marriage or that I find that concept to be unnecessary or without any merit. I admire anyone who has the patience, devotion, and restraint to follow that path. My issue here lies more squarely in the nature of what appears to me to be a one-sided agreement, and I think that in most agreements or deals, both or all parties should be of equal authority, which simply isn't true between a parent and a child. What I'd love to hear from you is the idea of sexuality as part of one's identity and the relationship many cultures and many parents have to virginity of their children, specifically their daughters in this case. Well, I think it's problematic, especially for, I mean, these girls are regularly 12 or 13 when they're doing these purity balls. And I mean, even in one case, a father was saying to his daughter as she was promising to him that she wouldn't have sex before marriage. And I think the idea of sexuality as it pertains to virginity is really problematic. I mean, these girls are 12 or 13 years old. They've barely just started puberty, if not at all. And there's this one article that we read where this father is saying to his daughter, and literally after he says this, he puts a ring on her left ring finger as if she's being wed to him or God or something. I mean, I might say the patriarchy in general, but he says that you need to abstain from kissing all these frogs and wait for the real Prince Charming, which is relating the idea of sex to this fantasy and also a very childish fantasy. And it's so problematic to tie sex with purity, which makes it so that once this girl has had sex, she is now tainted. I don't want to condemn the practice because it is clearly a choice that some of these girls make, but it seems embedded in, as I might say again, the patriarchy and just a man having ownership over a woman's sexual prowess or being. I respect your perspective in not condemning it, and I hope I don't sound as though I am, but I'm intrigued by your use of the phrasing that it is a choice, because I would contend that as a younger individual of 10, 12, whatever age really, one doesn't have a lot of agency in one's family. And I think even if you are a self-aware child at that point, parents, grandparents, any authority figure often has the ability and the potential to compel a child to behave in a certain way. And so I was troubled by many of these quote-unquote decisions because I don't know that they are informed decisions. And your parents might give you a certain perspective of what purity is. But of course, if you've never had sex, if you've never experienced the emotional and chemical sensations associated with intercourse and sexual encounters... You don't know what that feels like, and so you're relying solely upon words and descriptions to act as your guide. I don't know that you can make a fair decision if you haven't had sex, and I'm not saying to have it at a young age, but it is complex when we are forced to make decisions about things we do not fully understand. It's like preparing for a journey when you're not told where you're going or what you need to be doing. So I would contend that it isn't much of a choice, and I also think it's problematic that a lot of this is done medically in a lot of ways that doctors are called in to medically inspect the hymen before marriage to confirm, quote unquote, that the daughter's virginity has been maintained. There's no standard for men. A male could simply say he's been a virgin up until marriage. There's really no way to confirm or deny that. And furthermore, the hymen could break in other non-sexual activities. So that, to me, seems like a rather ridiculous meter. 
I think the main reason that I don't condemn this practice is because of the context that it usually occurs in, which is mostly founded in very conservative, traditional, evangelical, or otherwise non-denominational Christian communities. Therefore, it's grounded in these traditional family roles where the father is the breadwinner. And perhaps he feels that, and this is what one of the articles said, that he feels that he wants to have a role in his child's moral upbringing because perhaps he's working all the time and is being that breadwinner to the fullest extent. This is the way he feels like he can connect with his daughter. Right. One quotation from The Independent said, Kids might not see their fathers that much. Fathers felt there was some kind of need to be more present in the lives of their daughters and be an example of the kind of husband they are looking for. And one aspect about this that I have a lot of respect for is the concept of a promise to a loved one, because a promise is a very powerful thing. I personally believe we live in a day and age when many promises are not made. And frankly, as is done via text, if someone can't make plans, they will text you and apologize or send you an email. And I don't feel that promises, big or small, are often made in our culture. And so I do thoroughly respect that side of it. I'm just troubled by the nature of the promise. And I would say, and would love to hear your thoughts, that in abstaining from an exploration of sexuality, you also abstain from a conversation and from an opportunity to learn. And I know that many individuals and children aren't comfortable talking about their sexual experiences with parents, but I know and I'm often very impressed by those who do feel comfortable talking to their parents about sex and sexuality and learning from their parents and also acting as adults in conversing about those topics. And I'd love to hear what you think. Absolutely. I think that these purity balls, this promise that this daughter makes to her father, I mean, even if sons, which we can talk about later, had to make this promise, it's still constraining you from learning about sex, which I think is fundamental to a healthy marriage. And if you go into a marriage without having any sort of sexual relations, I mean, some of them, as you said, we're talking about kissing. How do you know if you're sexually compatible or not? I mean, there have been studies that have shown that people who are more sexually compatible have a more sustainable, healthy marriage. And it's interesting that we attach these very obscure, abstract terms to sex, like purity and virginity, and then that kind of puts a blanket over the topic. And fathers can say, oh, you need to keep yourself pure before you get married. But what does that really mean? And I think it's really twisting the idea of what healthy sex is. And as we hesitate to discuss any topic or use strong, clear, concise language to describe anything, individuals will make up their own definitions and will find out ways to define those topics on their own because I would argue the mind is innately curious and people, especially given their urges, are likely to be curious about those urges and about themselves as it relates to sex and marriage, I think it's very troubling to think that a girl or young woman might find herself impure after having sex, because then you might feel bound by guilt to the first man that you've slept with, your husband. And that's problematic because he may have remained a virgin like you, but if your marriage is emotionally toxic or in any other way unhealthy, and you feel that you're impure because of your first and only sexual partner, you might not feel comfortable leaving, and I would feel sorry for women in that situation. And it should be said that this is, of course, a very heteronormative discussion, which does not account for the spectrum of sexuality or the different marriages couples can pursue. 
These purity balls seem to refer to eventual heterosexual marriages, but obviously marriage in our country permits same-sex couples to marry as well. And I also agree with you that sexuality is part of many healthy marriages, and I think individuals should have the freedom to explore their own sexuality because that is an element that you can quote-unquote test for before you marry someone. And if you are sexually compatible, that's something to check off, and that's a great aspect. I'm not saying it's the only important aspect of a relationship, and I think that's a fear of some fathers and parents in these purity balls, that they're worried their daughters will become consumed by sexuality. And I think that is an understandable fear, but I also think in certain situations it becomes an irrational fear. But you also have to think about the very kind of creepy, but also parallel symbolism and imagery that goes with these purity balls that goes with marriage. So you have these purity balls, these young girls dress up in these gowns that look remarkably like wedding dresses. And in the specific photo shoot, the father is cradling the daughter as one teenage boy might do his prom date. And it's a very emotional and beautiful portrait, I'd say. But then you also have to think about the idea of ownership in that. And then how in a wedding, the father takes the bride down the aisle and then passes her on to her husband or her to-be husband, the groom. Does that mean that her sexuality, her virginity has now become, rather than owned by her father, now owned by her husband? And I think there's a huge parallel there that's really, really problematic in terms of men owning women's virginity in this case and just general sexuality. As you were saying before, would she feel guilty now that that virginity belongs to that it was lost and therefore in that, I mean, the idea of losing your virginity, who is finding it? Right. Again, the language we use to describe sex and sexuality is very important, and I would say of the utmost importance in sexuality, which is something that's withheld from younger members of society. And so they build constructions of it in their mind. They don't fully understand what it is. And there's a distinct gender binary in essentially arguing that women are either too weak to defend themselves from sexuality or need the protection of a man, but sons don't need the protection of their fathers or mothers in preparing for marriage. I was really troubled by that. And I don't think as a society, again, referring to America, and I would love to hear from international listeners what you think about virginity and sexuality, but American boys are taught, I would say, or at least conditioned culturally to lose your virginity as soon as possible, or at least that when you will, at whatever age, it will be pleasurable. It doesn't need to be rushed necessarily, but it is a rite of passage, and I think a positive one, whereas for women, at least from my perspective, it is a sacred rite of passage and very sensitive and tender and should not be done carelessly or with the wrong person. And for men, it is highlighted as more of a conquest, and that in and of itself is deeply troubling. I think it's a clear problem that you wouldn't see a purity ball for sons, and I'd be very curious to hear from these fathers or mothers why they don't feel the need to do this with their sons. You mentioned sons, and therefore I might ask, where are the mothers? They are never mentioned in these articles once. I have no idea what kind of role they play in the ceremonies. But when you look at the ceremony itself, it seems like this big family affair where the father and daughter are making these promises to each other, and it's very extravagant. From one recent purity ball in Maryland, a daughter gave her father, I think at her wedding, a certificate of her purity once she got married and had her hymen checked before the wedding to ensure that it was intact. So this certificate was signed by her doctor. 
So to some respect, these balls are so heavily coated in material extravagance. If you look at what people are wearing, there's dancing, there's music. It feels like a wedding, which I feel like we can talk about in another episode because I feel like the material extravagance of the whole thing really taints the actual goal in mind and commodifies it in a way. And I'm glad you mentioned weddings and extravagance because in the video that I watched that was attached to one of the articles, which we will of course link to in this episode, many of the girls talk about their experience with their personal purity balls and why they enjoyed them so thoroughly. And there are photos shown during this video of fathers and daughters, and the context is very wedding-like. And the girls also mention, again with photographic evidence, how excited they were to be celebrating with their female peers. And to me, a lot of the positivity described within the video was about how great it was to be surrounded by like-minded people, whether parents or friends. And that intrigued me, because personally, I believe one should expand their circles to incorporate different perspectives, different beliefs, different values in other people to learn. And I felt that this was in many ways a closed environment from which people could not very easily leave or enter in a philosophical or religious context. And I think that's intellectually stifling. And I also felt that many of the definitions the girls give for the value of purity involved words like pure, and so they have very circular understandings of what it means to be pure, and I don't blame them for that. I think, again, without a thorough understanding of sexuality, which ironically can only come, I would contend, through sexual experience, one would find it very hard to describe exactly what purity is without describing events and actions in which they have not participated. It was a very intriguing video to watch. Again, only female voices. We didn't hear from the fathers here. And the girls talked about the solidarity they felt with their peers. But I would question how much they felt their beliefs were ever challenged or questioned or that they could articulate thoroughly what purity meant to them. And I think that's why I might be more inclined to say that they feel as though they have a choice because they are so supported in that decision that they feel that they are truly compelled by their beliefs and their faith and their convictions. And that's the reason why they have decided to do this rather than some underlying system that might be compelling them to act this way. And I think fear is another factor in compulsion because one girl makes a comparison between herself and a white shirt as being this pure garment that once stained is very hard to clean again, but she compared Jesus to essentially oxyclean and being able to remove all of one's stains through devotion to Jesus or to God. And I think, again, if you're afraid of being judged, of being seen as impure or dirty, why would you engage in an action? It makes complete sense that they would feel that way, but I also think, personally, that is the wrong way to motivate individuals or to try and persuade them, or in this case, dissuade them from engaging in certain activities. And I recognize to older listeners that I'm not a father yet, I've never been a parent, so I don't know what it's like, but I do believe there are healthier ways to discuss sexuality and to try and explain it to someone who hasn't engaged in sexual contact. And you are a son, and you have never, I'm speaking for you now, but I doubt that anyone has ever said that you would be tainted by having sex. And in movies or books or TV shows, when I hear women talk about virginity in a way where an older sister is talking to her younger sister or a mother is talking to her daughter about the consequences of sex, 
I can relate to that 100%. I have heard for most of my life, or at least since puberty, more of the negative effects of having sex rather than the positive ones. And I do recognize that there are potential negative consequences such as STDs and STIs or unwanted pregnancy and possible emotional attachment to a negative influence or a person who doesn't respect you or treat you as you deserve to be treated. And I recognize that. But I also think that that could be explained without a religious connotation or context. And I think that's very tricky when you come from a religious family. And I recognize that in those families, the easiest way to explain it might be through the context of a purity ball. But I think there are ways to act responsibly around quote unquote temptations like sexuality. And I wish that that had been discussed more in the articles that we read. And I think it should be said that we read some articles from Christian online forums or magazines and that this is not the view of all Christians. This is simply more conservative or more traditional Christian groups or just individuals in general or individual families who adhere to this tradition and find it significant to their own upbringing or personal faith. And some of the Christians who were writing some of the articles we read were troubled by the idea that Christianity is all about hating sex and that that's a really misconstrued perception of the religion in general. Right. There are definitely multiple interpretations of biblical verses and the Bible itself as a whole. I was also struck, and I remember thinking this throughout my reading, that it's important to make vows and promises to other people. I think it can strengthen connections, whether they are familial or with friends. But I feel very strongly that the most powerful vows or promises you can make are those made to yourself, without many outside factors, if possible, without any at all, that you are going to accomplish something, that you are going to pursue something, that you believe in something and will unconditionally believe in it, without the influence or persuasion of others, because I think that shows independence and individuality. These women, young women albeit, feel justified in their decision because other people around them justify it. And I think they are genuinely happy and don't feel deprived because of their decision. And that's a different kind of value. I agree with you. It's always really important to challenge your beliefs and to think for yourself. But I think happiness often comes with solidarity and feeling validated. I agree. And of course, this is a complex issue, and we probably have not touched on every aspect, and perhaps some more than others. But as we close, what are some aspects or things you would like the audience to consider? Like I said at the beginning, I was so curious about this sort of seemingly exotic ceremony. And in many ways, it is bizarre to me, but I think it's important not to fetishize it and not to condemn it off the bat. And I think it's important to always, with anything, to delve into a subject deeper before you make judgments on it and to discuss it like we've done now. I concur. And I would also say Caroline and I have given our stances on it, but hopefully we've also provided an ample amount of information on both sides and that we've made what may seem black and white to some into a more gray area in which there is a lot of nuance and through which people should make their own decisions and conclusions. And of course, we would value input from you as our listeners. I would like people to think about concepts like sexuality and virginity 
in their cultures and what roles they play, and especially how they tie into beliefs about gender and who someone is as an individual. But we would love this to be a conversation among, not simply a conversation between. So if you would like to reach out to us, we would love to hear from you on Twitter or Facebook. You can also email us, strideandsaunter at gmail.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, we would love it if you subscribed and reviewed and shared it with friends and family as you see appropriate. And as always, we thank you very much for listening. And from thought to word and voice to ear, this is Kip Clark signing off. And this is Caroline Borders. We'll see you next time.